Hello, hello, hey up, what's up, what's good, ni hao, bonjour, welcome to the Any Given Runway Show, I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green, Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures, by highlighting some of the most athletic, artistic, and interesting people in the world, everyone has a story, each person a scholar, fabulous show for today with a 2020 recap episode featuring two of our favorite and most popular athletes that we had on the show, Japanese tennis player Taro Daniel, and Belgian field hockey player Alexander Hendricks. Taro and Alexander's episodes both were released on July 1st, episodes 110 and 111 respectively. Taro shared with us his experiences on the ATP tour and including one special match where he defeated a legend of the sport. Taro also chats about how his multicultural background has helped shape his life. I'm assuming tennis was very helpful because despite going to different cultures, tennis remains the same. Yeah, the courts might be different, but the the sport itself remains the same. So how was tennis beneficial to you being in a new country around people that maybe you wouldn't have been around before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, I think it makes the transition a lot easier because in the end, um, yeah, you connect to people through tennis. And then I was, you know, I wasn't like the best in the academy or anything, but I was one of the better ones. Um, so the coaches, you know, they definitely paid more attention and, uh, you know, they respect you a little bit more when you have that tool. Um, as opposed to when you're just a kid in the school, you might not have that tool. Or even if you do something, even if you're good at, let's say, like piano, you might not be able to showcase it every day like you can in tennis. So, yeah, for sure, you know, having – being a little bit better than most kids at that age uh, yeah. was definitely a help. Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely a help because anytime I'm sure there's any 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 grudges or anything, you can just settle it out on the, on the court as well. Yeah, for sure. In, in 2014, we fast forward in 2014, you had a very successful year participating in several big tournaments and you were a member of the Japanese Davis Cup team. When did you first realize that, you know what, I belong on the tour? I never had like this one moment of realization, like uh, even when I was a kid, you know, like um, I wasn't like, oh, I got to become a pro or like, um, oh, this is the moment I know I can, I can make it because uh, I always just kind of, kind of kept going like step by step and just happened to be there, you know, and then, but yeah, 2014 when I first uh, got, first got a selector for the Davis Cup team. And that's when I started having more sponsors um, from Japan. So that's when I also started becoming more um, financially independent. Yeah. So that was definitely a little switch. You know, it's also more fun to be, you know, financially independent, but it's more responsibility. You know, you got to represent your brands well. And yeah, that's still a, uh, something that I'm super grateful for, but also a struggle in a way to keep, you know, uh, showing those results and stuff like that. What about with confidence? How did your confidence, you said there wasn't one moment where you're like, I belong, but once you started having those and once you were selected of the Davis cup team, how did your confidence change? Uh, I don't know. Confidence is always just up and down, no mm. matter how high up you go, you know, it's just like, it's never like, uh, oh, I'm in the top 100 or whatever, so I'm, uh, my confidence is solid to a certain point. Like, I've had moments when I was 80 in the world where my confidence was, like, so low. Mm. But I've had moments when I was 400 in the world where my confidence was really high. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, it's just, it's such a you win you lose every week, and it really just kind of goes in a wave. So then, my next question would be: How do you stay right in the middle? How do you not fall to you know when you are four hundredth, not get yourself down on yourself, and then how do you not get too high on yourself? How do you stay balanced with the highs and lows, the ebbs and the flows? I think because it's not easy. It's not easy. Accept that you're not going to stay balanced all the time. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, at least in sports, like, okay, you got to neutralize certain strong feelings you have. Like when you're super confident and super happy, yeah, you got to bring yourself down a little bit to humble yourself down. Yeah. And also when you're feeling super, yeah, not confident, you got to, you know, be more positive and trying to bring yourself up. But also, you know, the day you lose, for example, you can't, you got to let yourself be super down for a couple hours and then you come back up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whenever I just kind of you know let myself feel the things for how long, however long it lasts, uh, it usually just ends up kind of bringing itself back to the neutral state. Yeah, I, I like hearing that because you're saying that you know it, you're going to just take the emotions as they are. You're going to be just honest to your emotions if you're down. It's okay to be down at that point if you're up. It's okay to be up, and I, I appreciate that because so many times I think we're told to to feel a different way or if you're not supposed to feel down, but I like that. I like hearing you say, if it's if you're down, just go with it. Yeah, now, in, in May 2018, you scored your first ATP career with, in Istanbul. When you think back to that day, what are your favorite memories? Oh, well, that week was like, you know, it's, it, that's probably maybe like uh, when you mentioned earlier, one of the first moments where I was like, oh, okay, I can actually belong in the top 50s or yeah. the top, you know, 60s of the game um because that was a tournament that's a atp 250 tournament where there was marine silich for example he's top he's like he was like 15 at that moment yeah. or something he was playing in that tournament and i was able to win you know beat multiple top yeah you know, 100 or 50 players so that was when i realized oh yeah my level um if i keep you know working and like trying to solidify myself up there i should be able to yeah, keep myself up there. Um, yeah, so that was definitely, you know, a great week that way. Uh, the thing is, like, the hotel was, like, so far from the city. We weren't able to celebrate when I won. <laughs> it's such a big place. It is. And uh, traffic is not fun. Yeah, in the traffic <laughs> and the driving. And, you know, we we were just, like, at, maybe me, I was with my dad there when I won. We just did room service and had a beer, and that, that, that was our celebration. <laughs> well, I will say we can talk about the, the traffic being bad there and spread out and everything, but food in Istanbul might be, might be the culinary capital of the world. There's a lot of great things about the food. So did you get a chance yeah. to really enjoy the Istanbul food? Yes, I did. I was able to go out one day yeah. uh, to the city and saw the Hagia Sophia oh, and all that. Yeah. So it's unbelievably, uh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, um, Yeah, because, you know, all the players, we were kind of, like disappointed with the tournament a little bit that week because uh yeah we were in a super industrial side of the city um and the courts are also they were like really far away from the hotel <laughs> but we got to go one night and you know ate like you know real turkish food and it was really good yeah, yeah it was yeah, sur yeah surprising yeah, I remember just uh, Istanbul being great food and then lots of stray cats. If you notice all the stray yeah, cats there. <laughs> a lot. Now, 2018, you had that first win, but there was also, I want to I test your memory real quick. Do you remember what you were doing on March 11th, 2018? March 11th. 
Was that the day I beat Djokovic? Or... Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that will get if you, oh, yeah, I didn't know which day it was, but if, if you brought it up, I was like, it must be that one. I tell you, that is one of the the best answers I've ever had. Was that the day that I beat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was you and and, and the Joker. Um, yeah. What what was that like? I mean, I know you got to treat every match the same, and you don't want to get too excited, but you beat the Joker. Yeah. I, I, I saw your I saw your reaction. It was kind of animated at first, and then you composed yourself. But you got to be. What were you thinking after that match? Well, you know, that match was really special in a way like that. Like, you know, those are the feelings you want to feel more during the tour. Um, like playing in front of 15,000, a stadium, 15,000 people full, you know, one of the nicest tournaments in the world in yeah. Indian Wells. And, um, yeah, it was strange because, you know, Djokovic is someone you see on TV all the time, even if I'm competing with these people uh i usually watch him on tv and like still fascinated by how he plays um but then when i played him he was coming back from an injury and mm -hmm. i saw how vulnerable he could be like he, how bad he could play <laughs> and but even then you know you still have to take advantage of that situation yeah. convert your convert the chances that you have um so i was really happy i was able to do that uh well, yeah, it was pretty, you know, nice to see how they can crumble as well. Yeah. And there, he's arguably, yeah, one of the best. I, I, I think that he is the best. His high level is the best tennis that any tennis player has ever seen, in my yeah. opinion. Of course, yeah. Nadal and Better have more titles, but the level that he produces is... It's scary yeah, at times, scary. scary, scary did, you, yeah. did you feel, I, when, when I was watching it today... The momentum, crowds getting behind you a little bit. Could you could you feel the energy? Yeah, yeah. Because they I went from they were probably initially rooting for the Joker, and yeah. then as the match went on, they switched and started rooting for you. Yeah, like so you know, I I don't think that would have happened with Roger or Rafa. <laughs> You're like, right. <laughs> like Joker is a bit like the yeah yeah. You know, people like him, but you know they can also. Uh, root for the other other players. So. They're not as lo they're not as loyal. <laughs> yeah, they're not as loyal. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that was unbelievable. You know, just like suddenly, in the first set, I was five two down, and then I came back. I won that tie break, and then people were like, "Oh, interesting." You know, so they wanted to see the underdog win, and yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, it was cool to see all those people cheering for me. Oh, what a fantastic moment. Just much credit to you. That is just awesome. That is awesome. And, and I think when you, when you do write your autobiography one day, that your, the title of the book's got to be, was that the day I beat the Joker? <laughs> That's got to be the title, just because it's nonchalant. Yeah. When it comes to the majors, which one, having participated in all of them, which one holds the most emotional significance to you? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I got to say maybe U.S. Open in a way because I was born there. Yeah. Um, Whenever I go to New York, I always go visit, you know, where I was born, you know, in Lenox Hill in Manhattan. So, uh, yeah, that's always nice. But also, maybe tennis-wise, Roland Garros holds a very special place because I've always, since I was a kid, I've always admired the red clay and, you know, watching people slide on the court. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. And it is probably, you know, my favorite surface it's kind of a slower playing surface and you know, you can swing at the ball a little harder than faster surfaces. So I think for playing, I think it's the place where I have the biggest chance of doing well. 
Um, but maybe emotionally or your know, background was U.S. Open. Awesome. This is a close, close battle. Yeah, well, those are four great choices, right? You could, there's not a wrong answer in the bunch. We talked a little about earlier about not getting too high, not getting too low, but you got to do this throughout hours and hours of a match. You got you to gotta stay, even if you have a fault, you got to refocus on your next serve and, and you got to stay right in the middle. So we talked about how it is kind of in a career, but how do you do it in the moment? How do you stay focused just in the moment, just on the point at hand, even if maybe you're down 40, 40 love? How do, you, how do you stay just focused on one thing? Well, I think um, when I play a match, like I I shift, I, I naturally shift into a different gear. Mm. Um, and so I'm always kind of, you know, concentrated. Like off the court, I'm like this guy who struggles to say no. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I have a hard time confronting people about certain issues. But on court, I totally change. And, you know, I, I'm a bit more fiery and I can get pissed off or, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I definitely change into like a different person when I'm on court. And naturally, I, yeah, I've always been pretty good at concentrating, you know, not, not be like, oh, the cloud today or, you know, whatever. <laughs> when I'm sitting at the uh, so, yeah, it's, yeah, I think if a lot of it has to be just natural instincts, like how you, how much concentration you have as a kid and certain other amounts can be through training, you know, uh working with people yeah i don't know who to give credit to for that part yeah i guess maybe part of it is like you either have it or you don't and if you don't yeah. have it if you don't have it you're not going to be playing it rolling arrows that yeah. be part but of then it. there are some players like kirigos for example like who don't have that <laughs> but his just you know we, we could go we could have a way different conversation when we talk about him <laughs> yeah yeah That's, I mean, he's fascinating in a different way it's crazy you've traveled the world through tennis which cities which cities have the most electricity behind them on the tennis court maybe the passionate fans or just the ambiance or just the excitement i think uh, buenos aires is definitely okay. up there you know, argentinian fans in any sport is probably my favorite i okay. love just watching them cheer yeah it, uh, uh especially in soccer but i mean when i played del potro and olympics in Rio, um, yeah, there was this, like, there were this group of, like, 20, 30 Argentinian guys, and they were, like, singing every changeover. And, you know, it, at certain points, it was annoying because I was playing against it. But I was like, wow, it would be so cool to have that for me. Yeah. You know? And also, like, um, yeah, when you go to play in, uh, when you go to play in Buenos Aires, like, uh, they have an ATP tournament there. You know, people are so into tennis and they they really cheer people. And, you know, it's it's really – it's like a perfect image of a South American place. Yeah, yeah. Super cool, yeah. Well, we talked earlier about Istanbul being great food. So best food city you've traveled to? I think Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I I love any type of flavor, so it's all about quality. Um, but I think in terms of base quality of food, Japan's kind of, in my opinion, unbeatable. Like any, you eat like the three dollar meals or four dollar meals here, and it's probably better than anywhere, you know, in the world. So that's you know, it's all. There's always this guarantee of something not going to be bad. It's not going to be bad. Yeah. You know, you don't have to search for the best restaurant to have a decent meal here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably my favorite thing. But I also love Paris uh, because 
you know, I love French food, but there's also this great variety of uh, like Vietnamese stuff and good Korean restaurants over there, you know, so I can be, uh, give it a variety. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, like the French or uh, the Korean or like Vietnamese restaurants in Paris are better than in New York. <laughs> wow. Okay. Sure, I think. Okay. I mean, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I've only stuck to just doing French food while I'm there because I, I love the French food. Nothing like a big, yeah. nothing like a big omelet. So how, how have you, um, you, during this, this challenging time, how have you been able to stay upbeat, positive? Well, I mean, during the, I, I've actually, you know, enjoyed this time more than I thought I would. Cool. Um, you know, not having to compete for a while is nice. Yeah. You know, like you don't even realize and like, you know, you're competing 30 weeks a year. You're always a bit tense. Um, and you know, you, some, like when something doesn't work, it irritates you. But like when you're now like some, okay, let's say like <clears throat> Wi-Fi is not working in the house for two hours. I don't get stressed out about it. But when I'm at a tournament and that happens, I'm like, Oh, I was like, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. And then, you know, just other things uh, I've been working out a lot, you know, from home. Um, just trying to achieve certain goals and physical side and other than that, just chilling and keeping up with the news, crazy times, uh, you know, trying to listen to as many different perspectives as possible from, um, from these heavy issues that are happening and yeah, not much other than that, just Netflix and stuff. <laughs> what have you been, what have you been binging on Netflix? Um, Currently not binging on anything right now, but uh, we were just watching a bunch of movies. Uh, uh, like the other day, I saw No Country for Old Men. For the first, first time? Oh, the second time. Okay, okay. Yeah. Those movies, you got to watch it a few times, you know? Call I it friend. Call it friendo, right? With the, with, his hair was perfect. Oh, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like how you mentioned that you're like, finally, I get to kind of just relax. I don't have yeah. any stress, any pressures. So that goes along with kind of mental recovery. How has your physical recovery changed? What are you doing differently now than you wish you would have started doing at 18? Yeah, so right now, you know, I'm kind of uh, doing a lot of this thing from uh, this guy called Ido Portal. Mm -hmm. um, he's like a movement, a generalist movement person. And so you, you know, try and move bring in a lot of different movements as many have active range of motion, not just stretch, but like stretch strength and um, also use gymnastic rings, you know, play with the balls, um, hand-eye coordination, everything, everything. So, you know, like I approach like prehab and rehab completely differently to as I used to before. Um, when I have a pain somewhere now, like I actually, work to strengthen that area now instead of resting it and just kind of like lightly moving it around or something um yeah because in the end if you don't strengthen the area that you are in pain um it doesn't get fixed in the long run exactly but yeah so stuff like that you know so i wish i could have started a little earlier because uh those kind of like um body weight stuff i'm worse at because i'm pretty tall and skinny 
Uh, so yeah, definitely starting younger would have benefited me quite a bit physically. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one that's, you know, at the time you don't need it. So you don't even think to use it as well. Yeah, you, know, yeah. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask you about the Olympics. What was it like just representing your country there? I mean, that's gotta be just a trip just to know that, you know, it's one thing playing at Roland Garros, but now you got, you're representing the entire country. Yeah. I mean, Olympics was yeah probably the best experience I've ever had. Mm. You know, uh, it's just, it was so fun for me to just watch all these different bodies from different countries. I didn't know there were countries I didn't even know how to pronounce and, (laughs) you know, yeah, all these island countries and stuff. uh, (laughs) They have, uh, yeah, you go to the gym and you see these heavy weightlifters, but then also you see like the very skinny and light uh, gymnasts. And different things that they're doing on their workouts. Um, and, you know, you do this, traditionally you do this thing in Olympics where each country gets different uh, pins. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and they put them on their badge, uh, like accreditation badge, and you kind of exchange them with as many people as you can. And, you know, I was, you know, kind of using that an excuse to interact with as many people as possible. Um, and that was super fun, you know, like I, yeah, I was trying to get one from North Korea, but I couldn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> was there anybody you were super, super stoked to meet? Uh, I didn't really meet any like top, top, you know, athletes, but I did see like Usain Ball hanging around, but you know, a bunch of people were asking him for photos and yeah, I didn't want to be one of those, uh, asking for photos, but yeah, it was pretty cool to see him and. It was cool to see, like, you know, guys like Rafa. And um, I think Rafa was staying in the Olympic Village. And, yeah, the village was rough. Like, you know, buildings, you know, not not well-constructed. Elevators weren't working, stuff like that. So it was cool to see that Rafa was staying in one of those places. (laughs) (laughs) Taro's incredible. Uh, Looking forward to, to seeing him on the tour in 2021. Next up, we have Alexander Hendricks, who was one of my favorite athletes to chat with. He was just a lot of fun, made me laugh. As a member of the Belgian World Hockey National Team, uh, they have their eyes set on the gold this year in the Olympics. So it's going to be a very, very big year for Alexander, and we were super lucky to have him on the show. So you enjoy being around other people. Has this quarantine time been difficult because of that? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, we, we kept working on our, on our physique and, uh, and we did our, our gym sessions, uh, but it was all individual because we were not allowed to, uh, to see our teammates. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, running alone in, uh, in the woods was a bit boring for me. Uh, so yeah, now we started training already, uh, for a month again, but yeah, in smaller groups, but, uh, yeah, it's not the same. We don't play, we don't play games on training. We don't have contact on training. So it's all just passing and shooting. So it's, it's different. The competitive factor is a bit, uh, is a bit gone now. Maybe now's the time for you to do the golf and everything. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a good idea. Yeah. No, I, I took this time to, to work on my, on my condition, on my uh, aspects I needed to work on. Uh, I think, yeah, we just had physical testing and, uh, it, it all was better. I think I lost, uh, seven kilos. I think I lost three uh, percent of, of fat or something. So yeah, it, it helps because normally you we have we have such a, a hard program with with the trainings. You can do like those extra conditioning things. Uh, and now yeah, we we did some uh, yeah with the individual program. I could work on those things. So that's awesome. So tell me about when you first started playing field hockey. How old were you? And then what was the first team you were a part of? 
I started playing, uh, I think, at the age of five. Uh, we just wow. moved uh, from Deurne, which is closer to Antwerp, to Schilde, where I live now. Uh, and it's two streets away from uh, Antwerp Hockey Club. Uh, so I started my uh, career there, actually. Um, then I did like all the youth uh, till the, till I reached the first team. I think I played my first game in the first team of Antwerp at the age of 15 or something. So it was actually pretty young. Um, then the year before the Rio Olympics, I decided to change uh, the club. I went to Dragons. Um, <laughs> And there, in three, I played three years. We won uh, three national titles. Uh, we had a really, really good team. Uh, I made that choice because I wanted to uh, be in the Belgian squad. Um, and they were playing some uh, internationals who were already in the squad. So I had to. I went there with the mindset to build up some connection uh, on the field with them and learn from them. Uh, and then after uh, three years playing there, I made the decision to go to uh, Holland yeah. to uh, play. Uh, it's uh, it's in Amsterdam, uh, and that was also um, yeah for me. After winning like those three titles, it was like we we won every game uh, we could could have won, and it was maybe too easy because we had a really good side with Dragons. Uh, so I decided to challenge myself and and come in a new environment, uh, new teammates, uh, and come in a, maybe a weaker team, but where I had to take on more leadership and more responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, and I, I made the right choice uh, at that time, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm still playing there now. So yeah, just uh, like I said, you needed a new challenge. You needed something different, change of scenery. During the season, do you live in Amsterdam? Uh, yeah, we do uh, half half. Uh, uh, half of the week, I'm in Belgium because we, with the national team, we train uh, throughout the year. So it's yeah. not like uh, not like football where they come together like one month before a tournament or something. But yeah, we train all year uh, through. Uh, so mostly it's, uh, I think in a pre-Olympic year, uh, it's Monday till Thursday I'm in Belgium and then actually Friday till Sunday I'm in Holland. So wow. It's lit. That's, that's, that's challenging. It's, it's a lot, a lot of work, a lot of tiring, but it, those are two great places to be split between. I'll tell you that. So yeah, 2018 World Cup, you're the top goal scorer and you help Belgium take the gold. So what are, what are your favorite memories of that tournament? My favorite memory, yeah, the, the most favorite one is is, is winning, yeah. uh, winning uh, the gold medal, of course, uh, after a zero-zero score in the final, which is really unusual in uh, in hockey. Yeah, uh, uh, it was zero-zero at the end, and uh, we had shootouts. Um, and I remember we celebrated, so we scored the shootout, the winning shootout, <coughs> and we started celebrating. Uh, but they uh, asked for the video referral. Mm. Uh, so uh, they, they went to check if there was something wrong and uh, it went on uh, our Belgian player's foot so it was yeah. a fault it was a uh, no go so we had to come back to the si- to the line start all over uh, and there I had a flashback to the year before the year uh, before we played uh, the Europeans and we had exactly the same in the semi-final where we had a video referral against and we still won it so everybody was really calm at that time normally you should be like stressing like fuck we were celebrating already now we're gonna lose yeah. And there, yeah, we just we just took it, and, and yeah, it was such an amazing feeling in India, in the front of uh, sixteen thousand people. So yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Video review now be- becoming a thing across all sports, across all countries, and it didn't exist five, ten years ago. So how have you how have you mentally adapted? Like you just said, you said the year before we were kind of bothered about it, but now after having that happen, we're like, eh, you know, whatever. We've seen this happen. So how do you, how do you mentally handle 
the 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 stoppage, the video, how it stops the play, but also knowing that um, you just got to kind of sit around and wait for a result. Yeah, we're already used to it because in hockey, <laughs> I think it's already longer than in, than in football now. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it's just yeah, you have to you have to be sure uh, about about the situation in hockey. Uh, the video referral is asked by the players, so uh, you can only change it if someone asks it. And if you have uh, if if you ask it and you're wrong, you lose your referral for for the whole game. Yeah. So it's really, during the game as well, you see sometimes like emotional players like wanting to ask it, but not being sure. So looking at other teammates, and then it's it's pretty strange situation. Um, but it it goes pretty quick. So we, yeah, we just stay focused on our on our job, and it's the referee's decision. So you cannot change anything about it. You can yeah only ask the re- video referral, and then they will see. So. You, you mentioned that you switched over to a, to a new team for a new challenge. Now, this is not only switching to a new team, but you're switching to a new country, uh, new language and everything. So how is you as a player, when you arrive on a new team, how do you acclimatize yourself to that team? And then how do you get the players to respect you right away? Uh, it was actually pretty easy um, it, because Holland and uh, the north side of Belgium uh, I'll speak Dutch. It's yeah. just a different accent, so the language was okay. But yeah, I, re- I remember the first uh, the first day I, I went there. Uh, I slept in an apartment with uh, two other teammates. So yeah, it was pretty weird. I arrived. Uh, you come into the door, new people. You have to live together immediately. Uh, I remember uh, was with uh, Marlon uh, Landrich. Is uh, the first guy of the team I met. Uh, we just started talking a bit, uh, playing FIFA. Uh, immediately, actually, to to break the ice, um, and then the day after was my first training, and then it was just uh, I st- in the first training you you stay with the the guys you know already, so I was just yeah trying to stay with those guys, and then uh, after a while you start to talk with the others, and and, and you start to feel, yeah I think after one training it was it was uh, it was already I felt I felt welcome in the team. Uh, I remember I had to move my furniture. I had uh, new furniture from uh, IKEA, and uh, I all I had to move it up the third to the third floor. So there were already people uh, from the team helping me. So I think five people of the team came help me by moving the furniture, putting it all together. So I immediately immediately creates a bond. So it it wasn't that hard to uh, to adapt and uh, and to yeah to come in a team. It's yeah, really, really natural. Well, you got to be careful with FIFA, though, because that will make you friends at first, but it also could quickly make you an enemy as well. Yeah, I could. I, like, <laughs> I, let, I let him win. I let him win. Who? So when you when you pick up FIFA, what's the, what team do you play as? I uh, used to play as uh, Manchester United because uh, Romelu Lukaku played there and it was really strong. But now in the 2020, I play with uh, Liverpool a lot because uh, yeah, they they're just so quick and yeah, everything is fast paced and yeah, it's, it's really and really an amazing team. So. Ah, uh, Lukaku, one of the one of the best Belgian athletes I've ever seen. He was just scary to watch on the field. Oh. Yeah. The Red Lions, top form right now. You guys have your eyes set on the medal at the Tokyo Olympics, and now your dreams are on hold. Mentally, how how do you handle the frustration of, of having to wait for another year, especially knowing that you guys, the Red Lions, are on just you're on point right now. You guys are playing at your peak performance, so now you got to wait. How do you handle that? Yeah, we gotta we gotta wait a year, like everyone. Uh, but yeah, we we saw it coming a little bit uh, with the with, with the virus. Uh, we expected it to be uh, postponed, um, and I think yeah, the group tro- took it pretty well actually. Uh, we just told ourselves, okay, it's it's one more year to to prepare ourselves and to to become even better. 
to to win that gold medal there. Uh, yeah, we won we won gold at the World Cup. We won gold at the Euros. So we're we are in a in a good flow. But I don't think that one year would make us worse. I think it would make us even better. Uh, we have more time to work on some things. Uh, we we actually will like do a copy of last year running the program like in trainings and i think yeah there all the 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 flaws that were in in this year's program will be taken out because we've done it already so i think the preparation will be yeah will be even more uh, perfect perfect how did how did how did belgium turn around field hockey so quick you guys have become maybe the best country in field hockey in the world so how did how did it happen so fast yeah, I think we had a, a yeah a, lo- a lot of lost finals yeah. in the past. So we played the finals, but we we had a lot we have a lot of silver medals, second places, uh, and I think yeah, just the mental uh, switch we made. Uh, I think yeah, it's it's also thanks to to our coach now. He has a really uh, good vision, and he's an amazing uh, speech. Uh, he, he has amazing speeches in front of the game, and he uh, talked about like uh, leaving a, a culture, uh, leaving a legacy. For, yeah. for the next generation and we we didn't know how good we were until he said how good we, we were maybe we were too afraid to be our, our best version uh, and I think yeah that that's triggered something in in our team's mind like we can win we we don't have to lose those finals we we're better than them so yeah, that combined with uh, the 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 amount of trainings we do, I think we train the most of uh, of, of every country uh, during the week during the whole year. Uh, so yeah, I think it's yeah it's thanks to that uh, that we're on a good track. No, oh, it's been a tremendous turnaround. Now you're a defender, but like I said, you were one of the top goal scorers at the World Championships. How do you shift into that scoring mindset? You're playing defense, preventing goals the entire time. And now there's certain situations where you got to take the shot and, and score, and you've been you've been great at it. So mentally, how did you shift into that role, or how do you? Yeah, it's uh, yeah with the with the penalty corners, uh, it's it's uh, sort of my weapon. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. When we get uh, a penalty corner, you actually have to, like 40 seconds to prepare uh, to, to go to the top of the circle, go in a huddle, tell uh, the players what to do, where, where we're gonna score. Uh, and I take that time to just focus entirely on on my my own, on my uh, on my technique. Um, when I remember in uh, at the World Cup uh, against India, it was like full full stadium playing against the home nation, and there it was like okay, I was just thinking about I've done this. Millions of times in training, I'm just gonna focus on this aspect of my technique, and everything else it doesn't matter. You're just focusing on what you do on training, and just yeah, it, it doesn't change. There, you don't see the crowd, you don't see the goalkeeper, you don't see those defenders. You just yeah, trust in yourself and trust in what what you've done all the time already. So I think it's pretty easy then for me. <laughs> Pretty easy for you, yeah. Well, it has been. So you, you've mentioned that you you play you're on two different teams. You're on the national team. You have your club team. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of hockey. Like you've mentioned, Belgium has it trains more than anybody else. So how do you stay fresh, both physically and mentally, knowing you got to be part of different teams? And on top, of it, you got to travel back and forth to countries. I know it's a shorter distance, but that still takes wear and tear. So how do you stay fresh physically? Yeah. Um, yeah. How we stay fresh physically? Uh, between double sessions, we have like uh, in uh, with the national team, we have like a beds uh, in in a building, so we we're allowed to take a take a quick nap uh, in between sessions. Love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, and actually, yeah, uh, 
just taking care of your body, eating healthy, uh, thinking about your recovery just after a training, uh, drinking enough, uh, sleeping enough. It's, it's just also important because in the past I've had uh, a lot of injuries uh, because I didn't uh, maybe didn't eat well enough. Uh, maybe I went to bed uh, too late. Um, so yeah, all those aspects make make it really important because we train that hard and 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 yeah, we really have a lot of trainings uh, that it's impossible to to think yeah now I'm gonna sleep only five hours this night yeah. or or I'm gonna I'm gonna eat uh, pizza three days in a row. It's it's not uh, yeah it's not ideal. And I'm not saying we never that we never eat pizza or fries or something, but yeah, you just have to be mindful when you do it. You know, maybe you do it on your free day. Or- How about mentally? on game day with uh, all the distractions, how do you get yourself in the right mindset? Do you have a routine that you do? And I'm not talking at the, at the game. I'm talking like from when you wake up just in the process of the day, cause you can't get too hyped too soon. Kind of got to ease into it. You got to keep your mind relaxed. So what's your process game day before you get to the park? Yeah, it's actually different in the competition than with the national team because yeah, there I have to, in the national team, everything's arranged. The, yeah. the hotel, on tournaments, uh, you have your hotel, uh, you take a nap, we do our priming five hours before the game. We eat three hours before the game. And then we, we go out uh, in a bus uh, with some music with the team. So that's, that's different because I think, yeah, the national team games are even yeah, more important. Uh, I don't want my club to hear this, but yeah, they will probably agree that they are more <laughs> important than, than the club games. Um, but for the club games, uh, when I'm in Amsterdam, uh, I always do the same. I go with my scooter to uh, the shop, to the Albert Heijn, uh, buy some eggs, some bacon, fresh orange juice, make myself uh, my breakfast. Um, then I drive to, to uh, I'm always early maybe. Uh, we, and then I just go to, uh, to the club uh, early, go see the physio, do some, uh, do some stretching. Uh, then we have our uh, pre-game meeting, like uh, video footage uh, we still see from uh, from the teams. Um, then we have uh, some uh, pressure points that we do, really? RPR, uh, to activate our muscles. Um, and the thing I really like that I ne- that I didn't do before, uh, and that we do with uh, Pinoke with the club, is like uh, one minute in the dressing room. Everybody's sitting together. We're all silent, and we're doing. It's called visualization. visualization. Cool. So, yeah, you're picturing yourself doing things during the game. So you have maybe three, four focus points. You picture yourself doing those things right, and then yeah, then we go out on the field and uh, try to smash it. Very cool. So, what are you picturing? I'm always picturing actually the same things. Um, I'm picturing like making good tackles as a defender, really yeah. important, not rushing into tackles, but being composed in your tackling. Um, always picturing myself also, uh, in, in the drag flick. So, uh, in the scoring opportunity, um, to just focus on my technique and, and, and seeing the ball going into the goal. Uh, and then, yeah, the third point is maybe I picture myself a lot. It's just doing a lot of talking, uh, because I play in a, in a central position, an important position at the club, so I'm, I, have, I have to talk. So I'm, I'm picturing myself doing it, even exaggerating it. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe a fourth point is what I tell myself is not talking to the referees, but sometimes that's, that's hard. <laughs> it depends <laughs> and, how good they whistle. So. And, yeah, and in any sport. And I, how much of that talking when you're talking to teammates, how much of that is saying, no, we're not going to review that penalty. We're not reviewing that one. No, no. How much of that is telling your teammates, no, we're not? 
I think it's mostly like teammates telling me like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What's the, uh, well, you have uh, any music on game day that you got to listen to to get yourself in the mind, right? Uh, not specific. I have a playlist uh, from a teammate from the national team. Uh, he has a really good, uh, good techno uh, playlist. Techno uh, stuff? Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to that. Uh, sometimes I have another playlist with, with some more chill music. It depends where we are with yeah. much more. But I'm, I'm not the guy that, that put my, puts my headphones up and, and listen to my own music. I'm, I'm maybe the guy that puts his music on a, a loud uh, box and uh, everybody has to hear it. And, uh, hey. Love that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're now in the city of Amsterdam for your club team. What is the best thing about Amsterdam? It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I love how just chill it is. I love the culture. It's the greatest place because it's got it's like a big city, but you don't have the big city problems of traffic and everything. You can just walk around. It's just real relaxed. What's your favorite thing about living there? Yeah, the favorite thing about living there is it's actually a pretty big city, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. It's, uh, really cozy it's it's always alive um it's, it's not only in the weekends that it's crowded it's just all the all the time through uh there's a lot of things to do a lot of things to visit uh the nice thing is also all teammates uh, at Pinoke live in amsterdam so yeah we go out for lunch uh often uh yeah you, you just yeah, I, I get a scooter from the club uh, so I, I scooter to to those guys' apartment, we just yeah. chill together and everything. So yeah, it's just it's just a, a chill vibe actually. Um, yeah, it's it's just an amazing city. I, I thought Antwerp was amazing, but yeah, Amsterdam is is is, is like Antwerp in big, you know. Yeah. So more to do. Ah, uh, thank you for listening, Taro and, and Alexander, two amazing men, and both of them were a joy to speak with, and I look forward to what 2021 has to offer both of them. My new book. Curiosity is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.